Because Christmas really is a time of wonder, isn't it? It's a time of, of wonder. When you take Santa Claus, for example, he makes me wonder. I, I mean, have you ever stopped to consider how he gets all his presents to where he where, to where they need to go? It really is quite a wonder. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently there's this huge debate going on among physicists about exactly how Santa is able to deliver all of his gifts in time for Christmas morning. These physicists have calculated that each Christmas, Santa has to stop at something like 98.1 million homes around the world in order to get his job done. And because of all the different time zones, uh, that means he gets something like thir- well, 31 hours to visit all those homes. Now, if you do the maths, it means that Santa has to stop at something like 822.6 homes every second. Which means at each house, he, he's got something like one thousandth of a second to park his reindeer, shimmy down the chimney, fill the stockings, scoff down the milk and cookies, z- zip back up the chimney, jump back onto his sleigh and then race off to the next house. Now, personally, I have no problem with this at all. <laughs> I have seen the Boxing Day sales. I have seen how fast people can move when they really want to. But these physicists have also calculated that if every child were to receive a medium-sized Lego set from Santa, then the weight of his payload would be well over 300,000 tonnes. And that doesn't even include the weight of the sleigh and Santa himself, who, let's face it, is no featherweight. Now, according to these physicists, all of this mass, when moving at these sorts of speeds, creates enormous air resistance, just like the space shuttle re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. According to these physicists, the leading reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second, leading to the entire reindeer team being vaporised within four thousandths of a second. But personally, I have no problem with this either. I mean, you think about it. Think about it. Who is the leading reindeer? Who? Rudolph. And what has he got out front? Well, big red nose. It's obviously a heat shield (laughs) that protects all the other reindeer behind him. Yes, Christmas really is a time of wonder. But this evening, I I want to talk about another wonder of Christmas. In fact, it is the wonder of Christmas. And it is a, a wonder in an entirely different category to Santa and his delivery process. It's a wonder based on reality, on history, a wonder based on truth, on facts. And it's a wonder that sadly will be overlooked by many, many people this Christmas. So let us make sure that we're not one of them. It's the wonder that God has become a human being and has made his home among us. Would you please turn with me, if you haven't already, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. That's page 1829 of the Church Bibles. Colossians, 
chapter 1. And we are going to be concentrating on just two verses uh, tonight. Um, they're, they're two verses which I think will help us understand something of the true wonder of Christmas. So let's begin by thinking about what God did on that first Christmas day. Read with me Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Chapter 1, verse 19, where it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So who do you think the hymn is in this verse? Who do you think this verse is talking about? Well, it's talking about Jesus. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. That's true, isn't it, that the birth of a human baby is an amazing event? New life, a new person. In, in one sense, every birth is amazing. But then, let's face it, the birth of one kid is really no more amazing than the next. And yet when we consider Jesus, that baby born in that little backwater of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, there is something truly amazing about his birth, something way out of the ordinary. The difference is who this boy was. The difference is his, his identity. For there lying in that manger that first Christmas is no ordinary child but God himself, God dwelling in flesh and blood, God wrapped in skin. In a way that has had never happened before and in a way that will, would never happen again, a woman gave birth to God. She gave birth to a child that was not God-like, nor a little bit God. No, she gave birth to a child who was altogether God. What did we read? Look with me. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This child, you see, was in every way God. And this that makes this the most extraordinary birth ever. Amazing. We human beings, we're... we're we're funny creatures, aren't we? You know, we're, we're funny in the way that, that uh, you know, sometimes we are so taken aback by something amazing. But then with the passing of time, that thing that was so amazing to us becomes a little bit, well, ho-hum. You know, kind of like that toy that you get for Christmas that you just, oh, wow! But then with time, it works its way to the back of the toy box. And when it comes to the birth of Jesus, I think we Christians can tend to forget just how amazing it is. With the passing of time, it becomes a little, oh yeah, ho-hum to us. But friends, what God did that first Christmas day really ought to fill us with wonder. And so in an attempt to recapture the wonder of what happened there in Bethlehem all those years ago. Let's spend some time thinking about the stars, okay? Uh, stars tend to feature rather prominently at Christmas time, don't they? So let's spend some time thinking about them 
for a little bit. Did you know, for example, our own star, the, the, the sun, did you realise that if we were to take the sun, try and imagine this, okay, and if we bored a hole in, in it and we started dumping earths into it, did you realise that we would be able to fit in 1,200,000 earths? And then there would still be room for 4,300,000 moons? You see, our sun, it is inconceivably huge. It is so big. And yet, if we were to consider a second star, a be Betelgeuse, well, it is so big that it's estimated that if you were to bore a hole in it, you could dump in approximately one million of our suns. It is so big, so huge. But then if you think that's big, consider another star. I don't know how to say it. UY Scooty. Sorry, people that know stuff. <laughs> now, it's estimated that you could fit inside this star, UY Scooty. Say it, say it confidently and they'll all believe you. So, UY Scooty. You would be able to fit in. It's so big, you can fit inside it. Wait for this. How many suns of our suns do you think could fit in? I'll tell you. How many? How many wanted to guess? Somebody does know stuff. Five billion! Five billion of our suns would fit into that sun, that star. And you know, that is just three, three stars in our galaxy. Three of them. But our galaxy is made up of 200 billion stars. Three, 200 billion. And that's just our one galaxy. It's estimated that there are something like 125 billion galaxies. And that's just in the observable universe. Do you get a picture? Do you get the picture? Do you get a sense of just how immense our universe is? Do you get a sense for just how much stuff is out there? But the question is, who made it all? Who has the kind of immense power to create all of that matter from nothing? Who has the kind of vast intellect to know how to do it in the first place? Who has the ability to, to be in all places at the one time, keeping it all spinning as it should? Well, the answer is, of course, God Almighty. Yet here in Colossians, we are reminded that this God, the creator and sustainer of the cosmos, chose to take up permanent residence in the form of a human being. At Christmas, what we see is God Almighty lying in a manger. Wow. Doesn't that fill you with wonder? I know that when I consider babies, I don't tend to think of them as the most powerful beings in the universe. Now I see them as cute, yes, but usually I think of them as windy, weepy, pooey, sleepy, burpy beings. 
And yet somehow, in a way that I don't even pretend to understand, this baby, though 100% human, was also 100% God. To think that the, that the God whom the heavens cannot contain lay in a manger. To think that even while this baby lay sleeping in that manger, he was somehow spinning the electrons in, in the atoms that were holding that manger together in the first place. Brain fry. What a wonder. But do you know what fills me with even more wonder about what happened that first Christmas morning? I'm filled with wonder at how God felt about it. In particular, how he felt about becoming one of us. How do you think it made him feel? How do you think? I mean, there he is in heaven in his perfect heaven, surrounded by his angels who recognize him for who he is, angels who worship him for who he is, who are there to serve him perfectly 24-7. And then God thinks about coming to earth as a human being into a world that is far from perfect, a world that's full of suffering and pain and heartache and loss. He would have known, he would have known that he would have been rejected by people, even hunted down by, an, by evil King Herod, at the, even as he was a toddler, hunted down this evil king that wanted him dead. He would have known how he would suffer this kind of rejection his entire earthly life. He would have known. So how do you think God felt about becoming a human being? Well, some time back I was listening uh, to the radio and I heard a, a modern Christmas carol. And in their song, they summed it up this way. They said, How could heaven's heart not break on the day, the day you came? And that would be the logical conclusion to come to, wouldn't it? But read with me again verse 19. Look with me. What does it say? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You see, far from breaking heaven's heart, we learn that God was actually pleased to come as a baby. Pleased to become a human being and enter our world. Literally, he was delighted. It brought him pleasure. And doesn't that thought fill you with wonder? It does me. But it also asks, makes me want to ask the question, why? Why would it please God, who has everything? Why would it please him to become a human being? Well, read with me again from verse 19, as we think now about God's purpose that first Christmas day. From verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his dwell, fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, it did please God 
become a human being and dwell among us. But it pleased him because by becoming a human being, he would then be able to reconcile himself to all things by dying on the cross. You see, if the Christmas story starts with God in a manger, it finishes with God on a cross. And that might sound like a bit of a party pooper thing to bring up at Christmas time, but you can't blame me. It was, after all, the whole purpose of God's coming in the first place. God became a human baby that he might then grow up and die on a cross. Why? To bring reconciliation. To bring peace. It doesn't mean that he came to bring an end to the war in Ukraine or Syria. But that would definitely be an offshoot of his mission. Now his mission is, is a whole lot bigger than that. What did it say? It, it, it said it says it in verse 20. He came to reconcile to himself all things. And by all things, it means all things. You see, this is a mission of cosmic proportions. God became a human being in order to save the universe. Well, these days, we, we hear a lot about our society uh, and, and its great concern for saving the planet, don't we? We hear lots about a global warning, warming and ice caps melting and sea levels rising. And we realize that there are major problems with our planet. And there aren't many out there who, who haven't come to realize that the blame for many of these problems can be laid squarely at the feet of us human beings. We are to blame. And yet the problem is way bigger than just a falling out between us and nature. Now, our problems, well, they will never be solved through reducing carbon emissions or, or, or through investing in renewable energy, as good as those things may well be. We can't just seek to be reconciled to the natural world because our problem is way bigger than that. We've got to ask the question, what is it that motivates us to snatch and grab and abuse and exploit and devour in the first place? Well, the Bible is clear in answering that question. It says that all people everywhere have turned from God and instead of living for him, have decided to live for themselves. The Bible is clear that we've each decided that instead of living to please God, we'd much rather live to please ourselves. Now think about that for a moment. Eight billion people living on this planet, all coming up with their own rules. Eight billion people, each living as though they were the only one that really mattered. No wonder our planet is in such a mess. But here's the thing. The Bible's also very clear that our rejection of God means that there's now hostility between him and us. That there is now a war that rages between you and God. You see, when you reject God's rightful rule over you, as we all have, 
It is as though you have taken up arms against him. Friend, you are at war with the one who has given you life and breath. Should that concern you? Absolutely. Because God is no pacifist. He has wiped out rebels in the past. And he warns that he will do it again in the future. But here, here is the true wonder of the Christmas story. That when God, our adversary, came, he didn't come as he could have, in blinding power, wiping us all out. He did not come as he could have, bringing us rebels to our knees. Rather, he came in meekness and humility to demonstrate to us his deep desire for a restored relationship between him and us. He came wanting from us glad surrender. And so he came as a human being. He came as one of us. He came and he respectfully commanded all of us to repent, to come back under his rule. And then he went on to the cross and he died in our place, dying to face our punishment so that if we do surrender, forgiveness would be made available. You see, in the coming of God as a human being, what we see is the Almighty laying down his weapons so that you might lay down yours. What is the true wonder of Christmas? Well, it is that God came as a human being. It's that he was pleased to come and that he came with the purpose of making peace with you. Yeah, that's the true wonder of Christmas. And yet it's a wonder that needs to leave us doing so much more than just wonder, wondering. It's a wonder that demands a response. Friend, I don't know how much you have rebelled against God. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a lot. But what I do know is that to now reject God's offer of reconciliation would be the most horrendous treason of all. To now turn your back on this God of compassion, to now reject this wondrous thing he's done for you, to now walk all over the, the olive branch that he holds out to you, well, that would be a crime worthy of an eternity in hell. You know, I could understand you having difficulty coming to God if he had have come to you in a Sherman tank. If he had have come in a blaze of terrifying power, I could understand that. But he didn't. He laid down his weapons. Gave up the glory of heaven. He came in flesh and blood. He came humbly ready to die for you. So, friend, I want to conclude this evening by wishing you a most wonderful, full 
Christmas. A wonderful Christmas as you take time to reflect on this brilliant truth that God was pleased to come to earth to die for you, to make peace between you and him. And I want to conclude this evening by imploring you not to keep ignoring his offer of reconciliation because he has made you and he wants peace with you. This Christmas, friend, will you recognize his lordship over your life? This Christmas, will you gladly surrender to him? Let's pray. Our dear God, what a wonderful thing you did when you came all those years ago in the form of a human like us. Thank you that when you came, you didn't desire our destruction, but found pleasure in offering us reconciliation with you. But we are so sorry for our rebellion. We ask you to please forgive us for all the ways we've lived for ourselves without any thought of you. Please forgive us and bring us under your rule. We surrender. Thank you that when Jesus died in our place, he made real forgiveness possible. So thank you for giving us a true reason to celebrate. And not just for a day or for a season, but for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.